Well, I mean, was it? I mean, the, the, the first ever meeting of the National Citizens Advisory and Council on Space mm -hmm. was at Larry's house with Jerry. <laughs> Robert Heinlein just happened to pop in. And he had various generals and future heads of NASA, a, a California governor who became president. They founded the L5 Society. They became the National Space Society. They were right there back in 79, arguing quite rightly and forcefully and logically against the Moon Treaty, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And that kept America out of that debacle right. and became American policy, which is just reiterated again mm -hmm. by, the, by, uh, by the, uh, the, 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 the uh, President Trump and the administration, quite rightly. And, you know, I mean, the human race is in a battle for its survival. And at the heart of this are the rules and regulations we choose to place upon ourselves. Mm. And those regulations can either allow something to happen in space or stop something from happening. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, I'm back with Chris Dot. This is the second part of our interview. We had so much stuff to talk about, and I really enjoyed talking with Chris. So uh, I thought, let's have him back. It's about a week since our last meeting, and uh, we've got some stuff to continue talking about here in terms of spectrum management for satellites and also some uh, some fun stuff things that you do that are uh, not strictly business related so i i've been talking uh with some folks and i found out that you can indeed sometimes transfer spectrum assets from one company to another so if a company uh, reserves certain spectrum and unfortunately goes under. This actually is an asset that can be sold and transferred to another company. However, the answer is uh, only sometimes, as far as I understand, and I do not pretend to be an expert about this. I basically learned about that this morning. So I would love to hear more from you about when, under what conditions that transfer can happen, uh, what it looks like, and when it can be blocked. Absolutely. No, thank you, Jason. And a great question. Yeah. Very topical. Uh, this last couple mm -hmm. of weeks with One uh, both OneWeb <laughs> and Intelsat and probably, uh, I don't know, it's, it's actually a very topical question. And I think you can even delve into a little bit into LeoSat. Mm -hmm. So one of those classic answers is on the transfer of spectrum from one company to another is it depends, right? So it depends on which national regulator they have been granted the spectrum through. And that's really important because every country you know, every country adheres to the ITU radio regulations, an international treaty that looks after satellite spectrum in space and on the ground. But every nation adheres to that through their national regulator who does things slightly differently. And one thing to remember is that it is not the company's spectrum in that classic regard. Now, uh, mm. we do things a little differently, but the idea being that you know, it belongs to the nation state, right? It belongs to the government. So just because the government's given you a grant to do something doesn't mean you can give it to someone else. And that's part of that depends because you're under regulation and you must, you and anyone else you wish to share that spectrum with, you have to get permission from your regulator and you have to meet all the national regulations, international regulations that pertain to that to make sure that you're not causing harm for the interference, to make sure that that person you, you wish to share it with or transfer it to is also under the national regime of your regulator. So, for example, you, if you're looking at the OneWeb spectrum, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a company in the Isle of Man or England or the Channel Islands or one of the overseas territories, of course, right? It can't be, you, you can't be an American or French or Chinese company and go after that spectrum. They can't, they literally can't give it to you. It has to be a country, a company in that country. Mm. Uh, if you're going to share a filing with someone and split the use of that, again, you need to get permission from your regulator. Um, it's something that we're able to routinely do on the Isle of Man with some of the commercial agreements we have. But again, it must meet the regulatory requirements. 
you can't come into a country and grant, have some spectrum granted to you and then turn around and give it to someone that the country wouldn't want you to. So, for example, uh, when you're looking at military spectrum and NATO spectrum, when you're looking at commercial spectrum, you can't all of a sudden give it to a country that's on a bad list or a, a red flag list. You can't all of a sudden stop, you know, oh, I'll let North Korea use my spectrum. Ha, ha, ha. No, no. Behave yourselves. Absolutely not. Mm. So there's, there's strict right criteria and those criteria are different for which country you're looking at. And then when you've got a situation between Chapter 11 and bankruptcy, uh, don't forget, those are two very different things, two different legal regimes. Uh, you have Chapter 11 in the United States, which the Art of Man ironically recognizes, by the way, I just throw that out there. Mm. And we also recognize bankruptcy, which is a very different legal procedure, looking at assets and, and seizure of assets and payment of debts, etc. So, yeah, it's, it's a complicated question, but it can be done. It has been done. And uh, you just got to follow the rules. It goes back to that monopoly discussion. You know, okay. read the rules before you play the game and then you know what the rights are. Is there a rule of thumb, Chris, about the value of spectrum asset relative to the size of a space project? There can be, and that's something that Mansat yeah. can help you with. Others mm. can help you with too, but Mansat, we have a great guy, Alexis Martin, doing that kind of work mm -hmm. with us at the moment. And there are certain formula and, and equations you mm. can use. You need to look at the, you know, the maturity of the spectrum, the market cap type of spectrum. Is it geostationary, non-geostationary? Mm. Uh, the new rules that came out of the World Radio Conference last November uh, from Egypt uh, they actually have different rules now on the bringing into use the BIU of a non-geostationary constellation, like a low Earth orbit constellation or mid Earth orbit constellation for the communications. And that can impact the value of your spectrum too, because you have to meet those extra milestones once you flow in the first satellite. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's not easy. It's complicated because, again, yeah. spectrum is a limited natural resource. Right. We, we <laughs> if we get one idea across, that, that is it. <laughs> That's I it. It's it. And, and, it, you know, and again, no spectrum, no satellite, no space. But if you know spectrum, you know satellite and you know space. So anyone out there thinking about a space project, start with spectrum. Please, please don't let it be the last thing you think about. Start with spectrum. It helps with the design of everything you're doing. And talk to your regulators. They are your best friends. They're incredible people. So knowledgeable. They're going to help you. They're there, they're there to guide you through that process to make you successful. And... Um, but if you turn up to them a couple of weeks before launch and say, I hear I need something called a license, maybe not the best thing to do. So right. do this early on. Talk to the lawyers, the regulators, and get everything laid out. It's a good foundation for your venture and your company. Okay, fantastic. Well, you are involved with a couple of uh, scholarships, and I'd like to hear about those and what that involvement looks like. No, well, thank you. And I was always taught, always leave the world a better place than when you found it, right? Always. And that's the only, it's the only thing you can do in life if you can help at least one other person do it. And so always, uh, I mean, I was very fortunate when I was growing up, getting started in this and some other industries that people helped me and they mentored me. And immediately the first thing they taught me was always leave it better than when you found it. Go, I'm helping you now. I want you to pay it forward as Robert Heinland said and help someone else. And that's just been a guiding principle for everything we do at Mansat for our community social responsibility programs. Uh, we've had various scholarships. We have the United Space School in Houston, uh, where we're getting ready to send, gosh, I think our 50th student, high school students, uh, three of them hopefully this summer, depending on COVID, but we'll, we'll figure something out for next year too, uh, where they go and spend two weeks in Houston living and working with uh, contractors and NASA and scientists planning moon and Mars missions and learning. Uh, we do the same thing. Uh, we have a fellowship for the Lunar, at, at the LPI, Lunar and Planetary Institute, we do scholarships for ISU. And then 
and the International Space University, again, a fantastic network and educational uh, program, highly recommended at postgraduate. Uh, we're also very fortunate to be able to help uh, with the Alain Ramon Scholarship and with the Kapana Charles uh, mm. Scholarship, the KC Scholarship, uh, in memory of the astronauts lost in Colombia and through with Michael Potter. And we're able to do that. Again, all money's raised, zero overhead fee on any mm. of this stuff. All money's raised go to scholarships. And the Alain Ramon is to send Israeli students to ISU and to Singularity University. And I think we're getting ready for our 63rd or more. We have a team of people in Israel who go through all the applicants and they pass it on and we get this done. It's an incredible program because you can change lives with that. And uh, with the Kapana Chala, same thing. That's for Indian women who wish to attend ISU uh, in her memory. And same thing, I think we're getting up to our seventh, eighth, maybe ninth or 10th uh, student to come through that program. And, you know, Where can people go to find out more about that and if they're eligible? Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So a couple of places. One is the International Space University website, which is isunet.net.edu, isunet.edu. Also on Facebook, you can put in the Alain Ramon Scholarship, Kapana Chwala Scholarship, Casey Scholarship. The ISU page is there. They will all direct you. Or seek me out, Chris Stott, on LinkedIn or Facebook. And the same with Michael Potter on LinkedIn or Facebook. You'll find us there. And we will guide you to the right people in the right way. Okay. What can folks who, who get that scholarship or those scholarships expect to experience and, and come out the other side with or being? The, the, the joke is sometimes the ISU is called the insufficient sleep university. You can expect <laughs> to work really hard. Right? And that's what we look for. Someone who's passionate about space. So ISU is almost a self-selecting university because mm -hmm. once you're there, you're surrounded by your tribe, people from all these different backgrounds and cultures and nations all passionate about space. So you're going to work really hard. It is a self-help university. Hmm. The more you put in, the more you will get out. So the harder you work, the more you volunteer, the more programs and teams you're a part of. Use that time and become exhausted in the nicest possible way and learn and make connections, right? And so you're going to leave that university with a fantastic set of knowledge, like a perfect snapshot of the commercial and government side of, of the space industry, hmm. na internationally, regionally, nationally. You are going to have new colleagues and friends and your classmates and the professors who taught you. And then you graduate into the largest inclusive, not exclusive. Please understand that. Uh, inclusive group of students and alumni group. It's the largest university alumni group in the space industry for postgraduate around the world. And it's amazing. And they're there in almost every city, every country, every space agency, every space company. And it's like finding a member of, the, of your tribe and you can sit and chat and do stuff. Export control compliant, of course. And you could actually do your work and it really helps because you've all got a common goal of improving the lives of every man, woman and child on this planet through space. Okay, big deal. And, uh, and we talked last episode about the power of that network Absolutely. Uh, and, and what it can do for you. Uh, let's talk about the Institute of Space Commerce. What's going mm -hmm. on there and, and your involvement with that? No, thank you. So Institute of Space Commerce, IISC.IM for the Isle of Man. I'm uh, getting ready for the U.S. Institute to get their website up and running as well, which is mm. fantastic, a twin here, here at home in America. So the Institute of Space Commerce is the largest open source depository of papers and thinking on the economics of space ever. And it's free. Mm. Come it out. And we realized many years ago that there was an Institute for Space Law in Leiden in the Netherlands 
uh, amazing place. You've got an amazing uh, Institute of Space Policy at George Washington University in Washington, DC. So people have quite rightly focused on law and policy. But what about commerce and space? What about the economics of space? What can we learn? What new ideas can we, we share? What can we learn from past statistics, events? You know, what trends can we analyze? How can we look at that and benefit every space company and agency? And that's why we formed the Institute of Space Commerce. It's part of ISU. It's, it's, it's a little mini campus of ISU. It's an institute. It's an International Space University Institute of. And that was put down for the, the founding vision of Peter Diamandis and uh, Todd Hawley and, and, and others that they wanted to have this growth of advanced campuses around the world. And actually, there is a fantastic video with uh, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, doing the voiceovers, and with uh, Arthur C. Clarke. I mean, come on. You can find it on YouTube. And then there's Todd Hawley talking about this vision of, of how we expand out the university from this SSP, which is the Space Studies Program every summer, to a Southern Hemisphere Program, a main campus, these advanced institutes and campuses. It's, it's great. But that's what the Institute does. Our first patron, and may he rest in peace, uh, was Dr. Jerry Purnell. Because we also based the creation of our Institute on his work, specifically the seminal work in space economics. It called A Step Farther Out, published in 1979, a collection of essays. Uh, it, it, it was truly the world's first ever book on space economics. It was fantastic. Not a textbook or anything, but really to start thinking about these issues, about surviving in style. It was a time, much like today, when everyone was very pessimistic about the future. Uh, the Club of Rome had come out with their Malthusian usual trigger of doom thing. You know, the glass half-empty crowd of the world. And Dr. Pornell spoke up and said, no, I think your computer models are wrong. After all, he did have a PhD in this. And said, why don't you look at it this way? That science, technology, access to space can actually improve the lives of the human race. And you can do that through the economics of space. And that's what we look to. Larry Niven, who is now our patron, his writing partner, and Larry's fantastic. He did an amazing forward from that book, which uh, several space billionaires um, quote from liberally uh, as well. So it is a, it is a truly a seminal work, much like the Space Studies Institute at Princeton. I mean, they're, they're coming about roughly the same time. And it really is, how do you go back to those original ideas and build on them? And that's what we're trying to do as well. So today, Jerry uh, is our patron emeritus. Larry Niven is our new patron, which is fantastic. And we are now building that out here in the States as well more papers, we've got more publications coming. So Vision 2020 on Kindle, have a look at that. Uh, basically 50 years ago, a whole bunch of hard sci-fi writers, which means they have PhDs, et cetera, and they actually look at these things from a scientific point of view, got together and said, what will life be like 50 years from now? And there's a prize uh, through, the, through the Pornell family in chaos manner that, you know, if anyone, they, they put a prize, if any of the, anyone shows up with a copy of this thing 50 years from now, huh. well, it's 50 years. And so they're re republished with a very nice dedication to the Institute in front. Thank you, Pornell family, for that. And um, look at Chaos Manor, spelled as you might imagine, mm. Chaos and Manor, M-O-N-A-N-O-R. And they're getting ready for this, the, another uh, Vision 2070. They're looking for authors for that right now. We've also got a republication of A Step Farther Out coming. Because when you look at the data that Dr. Pornell put together in that book, his projections, they were, this is really weird, but they were right. His mm. figures were spot on. His exponential growth curves were amazing, actually. That's why he was such a visionary. They, were, they actually matched to the actual data over the last 50 years. It's, it's incredible. Mm. And so uh, 
We have Northern Sky Research, an amazing market research firm, have updated those. And by the way, Dr. Pornell uh, was very precise on this. He said, look, the only way we're going to republish this work is if the data is updated properly. And he said, I do not suffer fools lightly. I want only the very best and people I can work with and know a professional to do this. And so we went to Northern Sky Research. He had a conversation with them and he came back to us and said, wow, okay, they're impressive. They know their stuff. So he trusted them to do this. They've done it. They've updated all the charts and with all, and everything matches. It's incredible, Jason. Uh, really worth having a look. You try and buy a copy of that book, physical copy. It's over a thousand dollars now mm. on Amazon.com as a hard as a hard copy. Try. Oh my goodness gracious me! Right? It's that seminal and that important. Mm. Uh, if you want to get it on a Kindle version, it's like nine ninety nine, and that can be done. And it's it's a really good way of doing it. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be coming up with a republication of that. We, we're just about to support Robert Jacobson and, and his new book, which is coming out soon on space commerce. And, you know, excuse me for leaning back over here. Yeah. Everyone can see I'm actually properly attired in a video conference. <laughs> right. All right. Critical. I saw that book. I was going to ask you about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good deal. No, we're professionals. We're professionals at Mansa. No, but uh, Robert just came out with his book, uh, which is Space is Open for Business. I'm giving him a plug. Robert, I gave you a plug there. It's actually a really good book. Very well written, very well researched. Again, a book about the economics and business of space. Mm -hmm. uh, Emmeline Pat Dahlstrom, uh, her, her book as well uh, about space, about a personal space flight is, is uh, coming up on our website too. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to correlate all the idea on the business of space, the economics of space. And so we've just, you know, since 2007, now 13 years of the Institute on the Art of Man, and now our US Institute. Dr. Michael Simpson is our executive director. And we're putting together a new group of fellows and senior fellows, junior fellows. There'll be opportunities for all to get involved and just share ideas. Why not? I mean, so 100 years from now, people are going to look back and say, well, what, what were they thinking at the time? Mm -hmm. We can see the regulations. We can see everything else. But what were they thinking about business plans? We've been, we were very lucky. Uh, we were invited to come speak by the National Academy of Sciences, uh, by the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House for the for the, under the Obama administration with some of our ideas there, which is on the private provision of public science. And, you know, one example, fantastic paper. It's there for free, highly recommend it. And people say they were fascinated. Say, you mean we can use private capital to get public science? Well, like, yeah, you don't have to change anything. The same factory, the same manufacturers, the same providers, you just substitute private capital. And so instead of, you know, having to build the rover and own the rover, you just buy all the data from the rover. And so all of that was like, oh, but that's such a far out idea. And we did, no, 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 here's a whole string of examples over the last 50 years of NASA, ESA, and others doing exactly that. And they were blown away. They were like, well, you have precedents. You've got all the case. I mean, yes. So go for it. You know, taxpayer can get such a huge return on their investment. The people building and operating the equipment, they have no loss of funding, probably an increase in funding. The taxpayer benefits, the scientists benefit, the PIs benefit, the manufacturers benefit, and the people putting the money in benefit. It is a virtuous circle. And at a time of decreasing government revenues because of, you know, uh, that's done, they're just done post after the 2008 financial crash. But again, with COVID, we're going to enter a time of reduced government fundings. So that's what the Institute of Space Commerce does. Please come check us out, IISC.IM. Okay. And it's well, yeah. And if you don't, if you don't, it's up to you. But hey, if you don't, <laughs> put in a paper. Talk to us. Mm. You, know, you might have an incredible idea to share. Share it. And by the way, yeah. and Jason too. Let's be upfront. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about sharing ideas of proprietary business plans. Mm. No, 
No, of course not. We're capitalists. You know, it's the Institute of Space Commerce, not space mm. communism. So, but the idea being, right, that if you have an idea of economics or you've spotted a trend in space, you've seen something in the data and you want to put forward your idea, you want to share it with like-minded people, you want to write a paper on this, get it published, come see us. Awesome. Well, I got up to intermediate macroeconomic theory in college and made a model of the national economy. So uh, it's, a, it's a topic that is very important to me. Uh, you could go a lot farther than that, by the way, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fun topic. And as you know, from uh, the short series, the Make Space Boring videos that I do, uh, getting the economics and investment and business of space under control at a baseline where people know, okay, we put our money and we're going to get a profit here and normalizing everything is really important. So uh, I ran into Larry Niven with, I think Ringworld is his and, yeah. and Jerry Purnell um, as, as writers in my teens and uh, didn't know about their activism in space until more recently and doing interviews like this. I think Dennis Wingo and I talked a little bit about Jerry Purnell as well uh, on and off camera. So it is, it is really neat to start getting a, a look in uh, on these folks and their impact on, on space. Well, I mean, what was it? I mean, that uh, the first ever meeting of the National Citizens Advisory and Council on Space was at Larry's house with Jerry. <laughs> Robert Heinlein just happened to pop in, and mm -hmm. he had various generals and future heads of NASA. A, a California governor who became president. They founded the L5 Society. They became the National Space Society. They were right there back in 79, arguing quite rightly and forcefully and logically against the Moon Treaty, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And that kept America out of that debacle. Right. And became American policy, which is just reiterated again mm -hmm. by the by, uh, by the, uh, the the, the uh, President Trump and the administration, quite rightly. And you know, I mean, the human race is in a battle for its survival, and at the heart of this are the rules and regulations we choose to place upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. And those regulations can either allow something to happen in space or stop something from happening. And sometimes those who are very well intentioned can do more harm. Like they say, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And we're at that cru crudal, crucial and critical point in the humanity. But right now, we need good regulations and good commerce, not the path to hell. Did you know that the small sat industry has a 40% and greater partial and full mission failure rate? That's terrible. And yet I find most people in the space industry try to treat this as if it's no big deal. They don't even want to acknowledge it. And I think that's ridiculous. If anything, anywhere else was having a 40% or greater failure rate, trying to turn your car on, right? If, you're, if your vehicle or your cell phone didn't work four times out of 10, two times out of five that you tried it, you would go berserk. And you would do everything you could to make sure that it got fixed. The SmallSat Process Engineering Department at Cold Star Technologies is all about showing you how to manage processes better, to eliminate the causes at the root that create these partial and full mission failure rates. And you don't need to hear it from me. You can look this stuff up in studies. It just comes out of what you might think are the dumbest things. Oh, I know that. Well, to know but not to do means you don't know it. You rush, you rush the production schedule, you don't manage it right, you don't have the project sponsorship set up quite right and the resources aren't there. You've got this mission launch date that's moving and you just throw the schedule out the window. One third to one half of your project schedule needs to be for testing. And yet 
This is the first thing to get smashed in the head by a wrench. As soon as the monkey wrench is thrown into the operation, testing time goes out the window. You want to avoid this problem? The answer is not more physical engineering. It's not. More engineers are not going to solve your problem. You have tons of engineers. I am not going to tell you how to engineer a satellite. <laughs> I've got Dr. Rick Fleeter and other people on my team for that. And we're not going to come in there and tell you how to engineer it. But on the process side, and I have had engineers on this show say, engineers don't know nothing about processes. That's not me saying it, it's the engineers saying it, but I will definitely echo it. If you want to have a manufacturing process that ensures that your small sets, cube sets, get up there and work. Come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. So, but psychologically balanced, I've got a chip on both shoulders about that. <laughs> right. So, let's. I guess one question that I want to ask you, Chris, is like we've talked about so many different organizations, right? Mm -hmm. SSPI, uh, yeah. Institute of Space Commerce, you know, networking, International well, Space University, and that. Oh, yeah. if, if I was a student today, I might be overwhelmed. And I, I'm a super connector, right? I'm a legit super connector going out there and, and meeting people and that. And what I found with that is you can only find or, or pay attention to about two big categories of things, right? Two, two areas. So where would you recommend people start? Because I don't think, you know, it's possible to split your attention into 17 different things. What would you recommend that people do first to kind of get involved? Follow your passion. Uh -huh. Follow your heart. Because then if, if you're doing something you, you are passionate about, I know this, you hear mm -hmm. this from a lot of people, but it's true. If you're doing something you're passionate about, you're not working. I mean, you're working, but it's not a job. It's a passion. Mm -hmm. So you're able to do things like this. I mean, everything I've, we've talked about from Geeks Without Frontiers yeah. to the SSPI to the ISU to space education, finding those, that next generation of Marie Curies and Einsteins, helping them the way someone helped me, passing everyone up line. Mansat, helping enable all of these other companies to get the spectrum they need to offer the services they can and change the world and make it a better place through commerce, right? Virtuous. Yes. Follow your passion. What is your interest? Never do something because you think mm. other people want you to do it. Mm -hmm. Only do something because you want. You only get one life, right? I mean, you know, right now it's just, you know, people say, Chris, you know, you have this big passion for space. I'm like, yeah, I always have. Just do what you're passionate about. You know, do something what you really enjoy doing. We talk to our son about this all the time. Just do what you want to do and that you enjoy doing and then make a difference. Make a change. You always want to be looking back in life on your deathbed and hopefully many, many, many years from now and say, okay, what did I do? Okay, I was able to at least help that person or I did this or I did that. Mm -hmm. Or we, we made a difference over here. You know, not that I beat Smithers in accounting or I got the corner parking lot or I, you know, or I, oh, I really got that guy in that deal. It's like, no, well, you can, right? You can if you want to, but how does that help the human race? I mean, and that goes back to that whole concept of uh, what we call the Moses syndrome. Hmm. And that is the space program is really unique. Stanley Kubrick used to say he, he was amazed, even in the 60s, talking to people on the space program. He said they all had an aura about them hmm. because you've got a group of people from all these different backgrounds, uh, all these different career points. And all of them are working for one thing. And they're pushing through this incredible amount of bureaucracy and paperwork and funding and trying to get it done to make the future of the human race a better place, even though they know they themselves will never get to see it. Mm. Hence the Moses syndrome. They don't get, we don't get to go to the promised right. land.
but our kids do and our grandchildren do, right? That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And they will accept it as normal. Exactly. Yes. You know, what they see in history is the swan. They don't, you know, Mm -hmm. gliding gracefully on the water. They don't see it underneath Mm -hmm. paddling like crazy to drag (laughs) it down. And I think that's a a common core theme. Yes, we're in the Mm -hmm. space business and yes, in the communications and satellite competing. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to do something similar. This isn't just a job. If you want a job that makes a lot of money, there's other industries. Yeah, go into investment banking. <laughs> That's where most of the, the math majors end up, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. Go be a quant and, you know, on, a, on a machine learning algorithm for, you know, for, a, for a private equity firm. Awesome. And if you love doing that, do it. Mm. Uh, but, you know, but being in the space industry is a passion, right? And it is incredible because every day you get to do something constructive for the entire human race and there's very few people who can say that i mean the people on the front line right now in covid mm-hmm. and the doctors and nurses and the first responders and the police and fire all the way through to our armed forces are doing amazing things and it's the same kind of thing right it's a passion and i think that's what we're finding the space industry is a passion you, know, you definitely don't do it for the money <laughs> all right what what is chris Stott looking forward to over the next few years right you've got these kind of inertia projects things that you've built up and you're involved in and that what are what are two or three exciting new things or or outcomes that you're looking forward to to reaching hopeful outcomes yeah hopeful yeah. outcomes well like with geeks without frontiers our work mm-hmm. there to connect the next billion minds to the human composite mm-hmm. is really progressing and looking forward to that time where every man, woman, and child, and machine on the planet has access to broadband communications and ever increasing. Mm-hmm. The, the data flow, the conversation of the human race just vastly increases. The tools available to help and augment our lives vastly increase. Mm-hmm. It's like transhumanism writ large, mm-hmm. right? So technology can actually help the human race. And I think we're at a pivotal point with COVID right now. I think people are realizing that uh, hey, sorry, if you're an anti-vaxxer, yeah, good luck. Uh, but science and technology are a light in the darkness. They have brought the human race to this level of technological society where we can actually feed ourselves for the first time in human. Mm-hmm. The only famines we have are politically derived. We're moving, as Peter Diamanda says, from the state of scarcity to abundance. And it is an incredible point of history to be around. And that abundance is also in communication through satellite and more. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also very much looking forward to when we finally settle the moon and the solar system. I think that is imminent. And incredible kudos to SpaceX, Mr. Musk, and Blue Origin, and Mr. Bezos, and everyone working in that field, because that is imminent. And that is going to be fundamentally game-changing for the human Mm -hmm. race. Because all of a sudden, we change the equation. As Larry Niven, who we were talking about, his famous quote, and it was Larry's quote, said the dinosaurs became extinct because they didn't have a space program, (laughs) right? We know because if you stick something in certain orbits, it stays there for long Mm. enough. We would know. So all of a sudden, we have access to the resources and energy of space. It changes the fundamental geopolitical uh, equation down here, scarcity to abundance. It means that all of a sudden, we're not fighting for resources down here. That we, I'm sure people will still sadly do so, but it doesn't become a zero end game. And again, as Dr. Jerry Pornell pointed out and a step farther out, we can survive in style. All of a sudden, we can change, change the equation of climate change with carbon-free energy from space, space-based solar power. Everything we have in space right now is solar power or radiothermal generator nuclear. We can change the, the equation on uh, rare earth metals. Everything changes. Uh, great example, and Peter Diamandis wrote about this in abundance. 
in the opening chapter, he talks about how the Romans, the Romans had electricity and had aluminum. And they were terrified that the, 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 the Caesar at the time was terrified. It was so much better than gold and so much easier to make that he'd lose all the value of his gold. Right. And then go to the top of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., and it's capped with a piece of the most precious metal at the time. And actually, I was looking at the coal star technologies. It looks like the top of the pyramid, the top of the cap. On the, and it was capped with aluminum. Now, aluminum is something we throw away and recycle. Imagine when we do that with gold and platinum or mm. other new materials. The fundamental shift in the human Every man, woman, and child, the standard of living can be raised astronomically, and it should mm -hmm. be, and it must be. And I'm looking forward to how that impacts medicine and health and education. So I'm looking forward. I'm always positive on the future, Jason. Yeah. Satellite communications, space settlement, and the ability of everything we do up there improving life down here for all of us. And it has to be that way. And more freedoms, more uh, self-governance, and the ability to change liberty for all as well. There's a reason I became an American citizen. I fundamentally believe mm -hmm. in the Constitution and the mission of this country, and it needs to expand and go larger. Sorry. It really does. Yeah. Hey, point, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a transplant here as well. You, yes. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about, I mean, right. how about you? What are you, what are you? What are you looking forward to in the next couple Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to, to normalizing space where it, it has got that economy. Um, I think somebody's going to have to bite the bullet and kind of create capacity uh, just a little bit, right? And, and help humanity go from zero to one. And then the one to 10 is going to be a lot easier, uh, like Dan Faber and I talked about. So, and I, I really look forward to being a part of it. Um, I like the stuff that I've been talking about with, uh, with uh, Marie Baja and some of the space lawyers and that about uh, an open source data collection mm -hmm. uh, for, for space situational awareness, because I believe that is going to really knock down the chance of, uh, of conflict and anything that reduces war is good. Yes. And, uh, and helps with problem solving. And that idea of like space traffic management really appeals to me personally. Right. So I was pleased that you brought up the Cold Star logo. I had that designed four years ago, uh, 2016, by a talented guy named Tim Brill. Uh, and I paid a pretty penny for it. It's not a you know, fiber junk logo or something. And you get what you pay for, you know. And the funny thing about Tim, he's done a few designs for me over the years. Um, his stuff always comes out looking a little militant, just a little bit, right? which I, which I like a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets it right on the first try. Whatever his first thing that he sends me is, is the right one. He'll he'll follow up with two or three iterations afterwards, but I'm like, no, you got it right. And with the star, I had tried with other designers to get somebody to come up with a decent star-type logo, and nobody had done the four-pointed thing like he did. So I was like, that is better than what I imagined. <laughs> there you go. So... Well, no, but I just you, wanted to share a little backstory like there for folks that. Uh, well, no, I mean, because it's so much more representative than just the star, too. I mean, mm -hmm. the idea being that, you know, right. we, we have a fundamental choice going forward in the future. Mm -hmm. We either have a future that is based on commerce, individual mm -hmm. liberty, individual freedoms. And sometimes freedom is a scary thing, but freedom is the most valuable thing. Mm -hmm. Or we have a future where people give up freedom for security. And we have, sadly, George Orwell's boot smashing a human's face. For the rest of human history of right. totalitarianism and author authoritarianism and i think sometimes we take liberty life liberty in the pursuit of happiness we take it for granted mm. and and i think space is an amazing frontier mm -hmm. for free the free peoples of the world and, and i think that's rapidly becoming to mean something sadly again 75 years after the end of the first second world war 
second. Mm -hmm. I think that that phrase, and even after the end of the Cold War, that the free peoples of the world, as we're finding in the middle of COVID, is really changing its meaning. Yeah, it's and fewer and fewer. Incredible out. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's the next frontier for us. Yeah, and that again allows us to expand and settle. And one thing, forgive me, mm -hmm. Jason. One thing I always say is, yeah. others may colonize, we don't. Mm. We flat out do not do that. We settle. Ah. We are, you know. Our friends and, and brethren in Europe, they can colonize as much as they want, but this used to be 13 colonies and it changed its mind. Mm -hmm. okay, I know, uh, uh, and it's something uh, Dr. Jim Pass, uh, who's a planetary sociologist, would uh, weigh in on. It's, it's a very interesting field because the folks who go to Mars and settle there or the moon and settle there will begin to veer off in their norms oh, of from uh, from what we're used to. And that yeah. that kind of stuff just blows my mind a little bit, you know, <laughs> like how how the heck can you think differently than us? But already on this planet, there are other nations full of people who think differently because they've come up with a different education and experience and point of view and and whatnot. So, yeah, it, it is it, it is really interesting. Well, it enriches the entire human race to have people with new ideas, new ways of living and new concepts. Communicating. Yeah. Right. And I know sometimes people are quick to say, oh, but every, every country in the world has things in its past that we should didn't have. Mm. Everyone does. But that's the past. And as long as we mm. learn from it and go forward with that in mind and mm. build something better, you know, the idea that this American experiment can continue to grow and evolve with new settlements out in space as part of America is fantastic and fascinating. Mm. And I think I would like to think would thrill the founding fathers and mm. everyone since, especially as we continue to improve upon the American dream as we do so. I know I'm getting, getting a bit political. Bit <laughs> philosophical. Well, I think underlying, like being clear about fundamental principles is, is really important to me. And sometimes I'm not the most articulate about it, but I try to be. Uh, and I enjoy guests like yourself who come on who are clear about what they're doing and why. Uh, and it's not just to make money. And making money is fun, and, but it's an it's an empty goal at the end of it. You can't take it with you. And uh, exactly, you know, it's 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 fuel. It's lifeblood. It's important. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Without money, you can't really do anything. But it is not the end all be all. So was it, was it Buzz Aldrin said, "No bucks, no buck Rogers." Hmm. <laughs> So it is a key there. Well, all right. Well, Chris, thanks for being my guest again today. Uh, I think this has been a great two-parter. Folks can connect with you on LinkedIn. Uh, what are a couple of other websites they should go check out? Probably oh, the Space yeah. and Satellite Professionals International. And yeah, SSPI.org, great hmm. organization, the largest professional networking organization in the global space industry on all sides of the industry. Please do. Right. And if you're uh, a student, it's free. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Well, remember, Jason, uh, yes. SSPI.org. Uh, you've got mansat.com, M-A-N-S-A-T.com. You have isat.is, I-C-E-S-A-T dot I-S, for our, our work in Iceland with amazing people in the Icelandic government, uh, satellite filings and frequencies, a whole 21st century model of this too. Uh, Geeks Without Frontiers, geeks, G-E-E-K-S-W-F dot org, isu.net dot edu, and the Institute of Space Commerce, IISC.IM. I just wish we had the new US Institute website. We're trying to figure out, do we do space mm. commerce? What, what do we do? That's all coming to. But there'll, there'll be links on all these other right. things. And you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Well, when these organizations uh, are online, 
um, like we're talking about the US one, or you come out with a book or something, because I remember you were mentioning that there was an update to a book. Come come back and, and hit me up and we'll do a quick little five minute update video Thank to you. Uh, get the word out. And uh, and we'll be able to share that all over the place, <laughs> you, you and I. So Thanks. appreciate you being here today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you all. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio-only side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists, and so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats, and I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, (laughs) looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening.